Welcome, everybody, to Understanding Climate Finance. My name is Fahim Norelli, the Climate Finance Trade Commissioner based out of the Embassy of Canada in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us again for this series. Uh, today, I'm actually really excited about our guest because we are get to talk about IDV Lab, which I think is probably one of the best kept secrets within the development finance institutions, particularly for Latin America and the Caribbean. So Anita Fiore is the IDB Lab Lead Investment Officer. It's my pleasure to uh, welcome Anita to the show. Anita's great introduction of her work in IDB Lab. Anita has 20 years of experience in development financial institutions. In Brazil, she worked for the development of microcredit markets. She followed the trajectory of supporting small and microenterprise development and innovation throughout her career, which included roles at DAI, IFC, and the World Bank. At IDB Lab, she is currently responsible for supervising venture capital funds and direct loans in Brazil, Chile, Central America, and the Caribbean that focus on topics such as bioeconomy, sustainable aquaculture, and clean tech. Anita has a master's degree from the Johns Hopkins University and a master's in foreign service from the Georgetown University and a BA in economics from UFRJ. So thank you, Anita, for being a part of the program. Thank you. I think I sound old when you say all of that about myself. So uh. Uh, I, 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 I'm just saying accomplished. <laughs> accomplished is better, yeah. Yeah, I think accomplished is, is more accurate. So I, I thought we could kick off our conversation by just having you tell us about IDB Lab and what it's about, where it came from. Yeah, sure. Actually, IDB Lab currently is known as the IDB Group's Laboratory of Innovation. But in the past, we were known as the Multilateral Investment Fund, the MIF, as we were called in the region, we are called FOMING. Right. And the MIF was actually created by Bush one, Bush the father, through his enterprise for the Americas initiative. I think it was at the time they wanted to have this free trade zone in the Americas. And the creation of the MIF was one of the pillars of, of this, this initiative. But quickly it became a bipartisan issue within the US government. And the Latin American governments that were joining the Washington consensus at the time found it to be a great idea to have a fund that would be dedicated to financing and strengthening small and micro enterprises in the region. The the the, the region since then, I think it was early 90s, right? I think it was 94, 95 when they started operations. And since then, I mean, lots have changed in the and we changed as well. At the beginning, we were very concentrated in creating the microfinance industry in the region. So there is a figure that I like to mention: the early twenty, the uh, 2000s, for every three dollars of microfinance in the region, at least one of them came from the MIF at the time. Yes, it's we wouldn't have the microfinance uh, market that we have today in the region if it wasn't by the creation of the MIF. I'm pretty certain to say that. Later on, we started to tackle the remittances market, right? There was big inflow of monies coming from the north to the south, but these monies were not being sent or tracked regularly. So we decided to create the 
remittances market as well, because just like microfinance, everything was informal and very expensive for the peoples. So now you have all these incredible fintechs devoted to remittances. So uh, it all started back then. And at the beginning, we used to do a lot of regulatory reform work as well. We also worked with PPPs, with public-private mm -hmm. partnerships. Mm -hmm. We started the first PPPs unit in the region, also with work related to regulatory reforms, but we also helped governments to put together their PPPs units, you know, provide capacity to their officers, etc. And later on, we started to tackle the venture capital market because we quickly with all these SMEs that were developing and, you know, flourishing the region. But then in the early stages, the only type of capital they had access to was loans, debt. And, you know, you can only have loans and debt if you have recurrent revenues. And if you're not there yet, what do you do? Right. So then we thought, well, here in the U.S. at the time, we already had like this flourishing venture capital market. So why don't we do something similar to private equity or venture capital in the region. So we also started that market in the region. At the, back in the days, I, I was looking at the chart. Now it's quite depressing. To see, well, de not depressing. I think it's mission accomplished. But back in the days, all the money you had in venture capital in the region, 33% came from us. And now, oh, wow. you know where we are? We are at 0.006%. <laughs> but, you know, to me, it's great. Mission accomplished. We did it, right? So that's the myth. That's the, the IDB lab. We are always trying to be ahead of the markets, of the capital markets, of, you know, of the DFIs, to say the truth, and show the way where to go next. I think this is, this is our role in a nutshell. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. I mean, I think this, the development finance industry, if I, if I were to call that, is our objective is to work our way out of a job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just, that, that's what we're <laughs> supposed to do. And so by catalyzing markets and having some great participation from local markets, international markets, I know Axion International is also very active in, in this space. And you have a number of different funds that are working in Latin America and the Caribbean. So that's that's great. So then how what was the evolution then from the from the fund into IDB lab so yeah so one thing I forgot to mention that is crucial for you guys to understand is that the MEF or IDB lab as we are currently called today is a trust fund outside mm -hmm. the balance sheet of the IDB and that is very important because it allows us to embrace more risk without putting the credit rating of the IDB at the risk itself. We cannot risk that credit rating, otherwise we will have to raise interest for our public sector clients. So I thought it was genius. I don't know who had this idea of convening the MEF as something outside the balance sheet. And so that's why we do all these wonderful, as I call crazy things for him, because I don't have somebody with the credit, you know, department here telling me, no, you can't, you can't, you're going to put our balance sheet at risk. I don't have that, that issue. So I think it was brilliant. I, I know that some other DFIs are trying to do the same. 
I mm-hmm. I may be wrong, but I think the Asian Development Bank's trying to do something similar right now. Yeah, yeah, they've started a venture arm. Yeah, so it's it's really smart to have this apart from the balance sheet that also serves the public sector. So I think what changed was three years ago, we we have, since three years ago, we have a new CEO, Irene Arias, and she came with the mission to better connect the MEF at the time with the rest of the IDB group. And I think one of the the issues we have been working uh, on since then is how to better scale our innovations through our public and private sector clients, either through the public sector, the the national and subnational governments, or through the larger corporations that are served by IDB Invest. So it was a little odd to have IDB, IDB Invest, and then something that was called something else uh, mm-hmm. when we actually were part of the same holding company, so to speak. So it was then that we, we shift to lab, but also with that came another important decision, which was to focus our efforts on tech-based innovations. That was a jump from what we used to do. So now, if the project that we are to propose doesn't is not innovative from a tech point of view, and it doesn't need to be digital technology only, it can be, you know, hardware types of innovations or even business models that are very innovative, different. We we can propose that. But there is something, the innovation part of it, especially packed to technology, is is now almost a must for us when we look at potential operations to finance. Okay. That's that's good to know and that's interesting because and that sort of gives people a sense of when they're approaching you what what they should come with. So, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the focus on tech-based innovation, you know, another unique characteristic is the fact that you can take more risk and, but you're still related to IDB Invest. Is there a, is there a handoff sometimes that when a company is early in its maturity, they work with you and then they can be prepped for bigger investments? Like, do you have examples of that? Yeah. No, certainly. No, there were a couple of startups, for instance, that started with us. Actually, I have, yeah, there is a beautiful story of uh, one that has to do with us, with climate finance. One company that provides solar power to uh, remote communities in Central America and Colombia. It's called Kingo Energy. I don't know if you heard of them, but they started with a grant from our end very early on. Then we decided, one of our venture capital funds decided to invest in it, equity. And now it's big enough and mature enough that IDB Invest invested in it as well. So it grew so much that it got out of the IDB lab mandate and jumped to the IDB Invest side of things. So we do... We have this case of Kingo Energy. There is another company based out of Brazil. It's called was called Cargo X. It's like the Uber for truck drivers mm-hmm. at the time for cargo, which are all like micro enterprises themselves. And we also do that in in terms of funds. And I explain you. I give you an example. Right now, we are putting together 
a venture capital fund that only looks at women and Afro-descendant entrepreneurs in few countries. And IDB Invest is doing the same, but for startups that are in what we call Series B and above. So mm -hmm. meaning that they are in their third round of financing or above, or mm -hmm. they are value at $20 million or above, depends on <laughs> what we are, the, 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 the figure we are looking at. But we, I talk a lot to IDB Invest colleagues. Sometimes a company or a partner go to their side thinking they can work with them when actually their projects are larger than ours. So they send them to me and vice versa. That happens all the time. So we, we help each other with the creation of pipeline. And, and sometimes, as I say, one, I mean, my, you know, it would be awesome if I could, like if all the investees from my portfolio would go for, for IDB, but obviously, you know, they can go elsewhere. They can go to IFC or anywhere but yeah if they can go try to be invest i mean it's it's better for the group because we know the company already one of the other i think great characteristics of idb lab is that you work locally and you work with local institutions and you're focused as a consequence on impact so could you comment on the importance of you know working with local institutions rather than foreign institutions coming in directly and how you measure that impact on the ground? Sure. So yeah, this is very important for him because we, our donors committee is very clear that prefers to deal directly with organizations that have, as we say, boots in the ground. So most of them are local, but sometimes we work with institutions that are not from Latin America, but they do have subsidiaries there they do have operations there so the way and they are called for grants for the grant side of things we call them executing agencies right and before we put an operation together during the due diligence we do run an assessment on the strength of these executing agencies not only in terms of their ability to manage our funding but also their ability to provide counterparts to the project for, I don't know if I told you, but for every dollar we put in in a project, we expect the, the executing agency to bring additional, an additional. Yeah, so it's never solely funded by IDB Lab itself. It's a way we use to catalyze funding from both public and private sectors towards the same, the same goal. Right. And so we, we do this assessment of the executing agencies, but we also, when we, we notice there is an area that lacks capacity. We usually help the executing agency to strengthen that area. So if the executing agency reporting mechanisms are not there yet, or they don't, do not know how to uh, go about, you know, impact assessment, we usually provide that through our monies, through our TCs as well. So, I think for an executing agency is is great because we have seen a myriad of them like coming to us in a very early stage where you know they are they have a great idea they have a great team they do have individual track records but they you know they're just getting off the ground in terms of being an institution and after our operation they are a much better institution despite you know and you know, despite the 
despite the fact the project is good, but the institution itself also becomes stronger. Like I mentioned, yeah. one of them that was a pleasure to work with, and now they are flying high, which is Agora, which is an accelerator. They they do wonderful work with very early stage climate startups in the region. And they started like, you know, in a when they actually knew a lot, but also were aware they did not know a lot as well. And, and now they're, you know, able to get funding from anywhere, from anyone, any type of institutional investor. And we are very proud of their work. So that happens a lot. So does that... And, and local institutions, yeah. So does that mean that in addition to providing capital, whether it's grants or equity or, or, or debt, do you also do debt? We do that too, yes. Yes, sir. Um, do you also provide technical assistance? We do. We do too. We do. We can do everything thanks to the fact that we are trust fund off balance sheet. <laughs> so sometimes <laughs> it's not rare to have an operation where you have a debt piece, a TC piece, a guarantee piece. I, I call mm-hmm. them the Christmas trees. <laughs> The Christmas trees <laughs> operations. We have a little bit of everything. And of course, it depends on the design, right? And right. because we are off balance sheet, because we embrace more risk, I'm not going to lie to you. We are used to, I would say, challenging projects and structures. I I can mention, I can give you examples. So there is a energy efficiency fund in Central America. Mm-hmm. And... The role is to catalyze private sector monies to invest in Central America. So we have monies from us. We brought monies from climate investment funds from that are sitting in the World Bank. We have a mix of equity, first loss equity, and grants to help the fund manager to assess all the climate indicators embedded in each investee and report back to us into the climate investment fund, which is SREP in the case. And the fund itself has a debt operation with Calvert Foundation. You see? So you have a debt provider, you have an equity provider, ourselves and SREP. SREP also provides the first loss. And we also, we, the IDB, provided part of the, the TC to strengthen the fund management company. So you see, sometimes depending on on the geography, on the sector, we do need creative arrangements, innovative (laughs) arrangements, so to speak. And I think the beauty of the IDB lab is as an officer, I have access to all these types of instruments from different partners, not only IDB, that can help me out put this necessary operation together in a geography that really needs it. Right. right. So, so speaking of, of geographies and priority sectors, what is IDB Lab focused on now? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> but I think for <laughs> us, it's, 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 we follow, we currently follow institutional vision from our president, Mariso Clavio Caron, that is called Vision 2025. And Vision 2025 has a lot of pillars, and I confess I didn't memorize them all, but one of the key aspects for IDB Lab is the recuperation of the region after COVID, the economic recuperation of, and climate-friendly operations, right? Like everything that has to do with climate mitigation, adaptation, and 
the recuperation of the, the region, the recovery of the region after COVID-19. Gender is also another aspect that we are looking at a lot, gender and diversity. Yesterday, I just passed through our credit committee, a beautiful operation dealing with a, a venture capital fund focused on diversity. So this, I think this are, these two cross-cutting topics, climate change and gender and diversity, I think are very important for us right now. I don't know if you, if your listeners are aware, I'm sure you do, but the, the DFIs, we all have to deliver at least 30% of our operations. There is a floor of 30% of amounts approval amount right. devoted to climate finance every year. This is likely to grow to 40 or 50% in the next few years. So I think more and more we are going to have, I'm having, at least I can say that to you and to your listeners, I'm having a lot of pressure to deliver climate finance projects, me and other colleagues that have some familiarity with the topic. Right. So I think these two issues are everything that is green, everything that is blue, blue everything that is pink, Brown, black, and everything in the middle, we are sort of uh, embracing right now. Good. No, I think I think that's. I mean, when I started this this position twenty eighteen, it was there was no floor, and I'm just speaking generally of the development finance institution, so IDB, World Bank, others. Then it was twenty percent, and then that got exceeded. So then they was twenty five. Now it's thirty. So. Yeah, there's, there's a positive trajectory on that. And I think coming out of COP, we're going to see a lot more attention. I'd love to get your, your thoughts on this too, on climate adaptation and climate adaptation projects. That, that um, people think it's hard to do, but actually it's not that hard. It's just have, you have to find the way to, to, to get there. We have a couple of climate adaptation projects in the portfolio. They are longer term. Sometimes right. they require more money, but they ought to be done. And I think yeah, the pressure absolutely. is awesome. It's, I, I welcome the pressure. I think it's awesome. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, they, they need more grants and they need more equity than, than debt puts you in a good position to, oh, yeah. to invest in them, given, no. yeah. given that you're off balance sheet. So the looking at you know the mechanisms that you use so you know you had mentioned that you work with fund managers and then sometimes you'll invest directly into companies what's the decision criteria that you use to assess okay well i'm going to provide a grant here versus provide you know equity or provide debt you know what you know what are the sort of check boxes that need to be checked to say okay you you are eligible for this softer sort of financing versus the more traditional kind? Very good question. Well, for him, it, it depends on uh, the stage where the company is in, the country, and the sector, right? These are mm -hmm. the three main variables that we, we look at. So if a company, but I, I think the stage of development of the company is what is has more weight. So if a company, yesterday I was having this dialogue with a colleague of mine. So if we have a company that is beautiful, well, in this case, I'm not going to cite the name because we are still looking at it, but it's it's a very, very incredible company. They, they, they're, they're not an impact company, but all they do is to provide access to the poor. Boom. 
and they right. do it in a profitable way. So much so, they are going to their they're in between two series, two rounds of financing. So their yearly uh, revenues are above three million dollars already. Okay. This company is in a geography that is not where all companies are. It's not in the center. It's, it's in the interior of the, of the country. So somebody was asking me, Anita, can we do uh, a grant that can then be converted into equity? Or shall we do straight equity? Or shall we do mm-hmm. that that can be later on converted to equity? So then the answer is, where is the company right now? As I said, they have revenues. We like the company very much, but we don't know the company yet. So to, when the decision to buy equity, to become a because when you buy equity, we buy shares of the company, you become an equity holder of the company. And then oftentimes, it means that I have to sit in the board of the company representing the IDB. So it's, right. it's very time consuming. It's a much greater risk than that for for the IDB or right but if the company is very aligned with our investment thesis is very aligned with the principles of IDB lab that you already know just as are we are going to try to go with equity despite the fact the company is already revenues positive and almost has almost passed break even so i think the decision that I usually do when, with companies that are not as aligned. They are super interesting in a very interesting geography, but there is something there. There is not as aligned as I would like it to be, uh, but it's, it's still mm-hmm. super interesting. And the company itself sometimes comes to me like, I don't want to get diluted, the founder tells me. Like, I don't want to get diluted. I don't want to sell my equity, but I need financing. And then that is the answer. So he has recurrent revenues, he doesn't want to get diluted, she wants only like cash flow financing, then it's it, the answer is simple is that. And grants we do when the, it's it's almost, how, how can I say, it's in a very early stage, it's like in their minimum viable product phase, is in their prototype phase. Then I mean, mm-hmm. I cannot do equity or that because I don't know. It's just like, as a, a friend of mine says, it's just like a little egg. We don't know if it's going to come out, what's going to come out of it, if it's a unicorn, a chicken on a, or a mouse, you know, we don't know. So we just, when in cases where we only see the egg and nothing else, but you know, the egg is well presented. We like the idea. We need to test it. Then grant is the answer. So in a nutshell, the, 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 for the earliest stages, it's grant mm-hmm. or equity, depending, again, if it's super aligned or not. In the middle, when they get off of the J-curve, when they start, they go past the MVP phase, they already have a product and a service, it starts to get traction. We can opt for equity or debt. And then depends on the founder. It depends on our willingness at the time. But when the company is very mature, almost going towards IDB invest, we tend to offer more debt than other products just because it gets a little bit out of my mandate. It's still interesting to be sort of married to that company, but not for long. So I want to get out of it ASAP. So that may be an answer. So I know the answer is not correct, but it's not like super 
clear. But yeah, it's important for you to know the different different instruments are important because there are different types of early stage companies in the region. The earlier, more super early pre-MVP grants, post-MVP and Series A can be either equity or debt. But after Series B, we tend to give uh, debt or pass it on to IDB Invest. It's it's like the way we, we operate. Because for us to, to justify a grant to a company that has revenues of 10, 10 million or more, you know, it's not a very justifiable operation yeah. for our board. So, And I don't think the company also, for it's not good for, for the looks of the company either. So right, I think, to take a grant. yeah, to yeah. take a grant, you know, why are you taking this grant? You know, so for the investors is also a tricky movement. But yeah, we, it depends on, on the stage of, of the company. Another important information, because I think people sometimes get misled on this one, our operations are not concessional. I mean, it, it's not concessional yeah, financing. Next question, yeah. yeah, it's not concessional financing. It's usually market rates. So whatever in that country they are charging for that type of operation, we try to follow. We can do local currency operations as well as USD, US dollars. We tend to have a preference for US dollars. And it has to do with our exposure to certain currencies at a certain point in time. But I... I, I usually joke with my clients. I say the, the, the concessionality doesn't come in the form of pricing, but it comes in the form of the grace period sometimes. We can go up to 18 months, sometimes even two years. And mm-hmm. the total tenor of the convertible note or that usually can go up to five years when a commercial bank never does that. And another interesting thing about IDB Lab is Again, because I'm off balance sheet, et cetera, et cetera, the structure, I tr- we try to customize the structure as much as we can. So mm-hmm. if it's a company like in the ag tech business, it's a climate ag tech, so to speak, technology that has a lot of seasonality in terms of revenue streams, I can do a revenues-based loan with an option to convert into equity things like that, oh, okay. convertible revenues-based law. So we can go nuts in this structure. <laughs> it, it depends on the on the demand. So this is another thing that attracts potential investees to, to IDB Lab. We are more flexible than other DFIs just because, again, we are outside the balance sheet of the bank. Yeah. I, I think anybody that's an investment professional would love to work with you guys. Oh, yeah. Work for you guys. Yeah, I have. Because that's exciting. You you can, you probably have a ton of people trying to knock on your door. No, I have an old friend from IFC. He's like, you do that? How do you do that? Like I said, (laughs) don't forget, I'm off balance sheet. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, we, no, it's it's super exciting. I think I told you before in an offline conversation, I I go to bed every day super happy. I think the job that IDB Lab has done throughout the year has been amazing. The job it's doing right now is is amazing. And this flexibility of instruments is surreal. I don't think any other, I, at least I don't know of any other part of uh, the DFI world that has that. Yeah, yeah neither do I. But I, I, I have a feeling we'll see a lot more. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, guys, just put the money outside the balance sheet. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple. <laughs> That's simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah 
it's it's interesting how how this flows. So finally, I wanted to ask you, Canadian companies that are interested in working with IDB Lab, how should they prepare for a conversation with you or your colleagues? Again, I think we have had, I think I told you, I, I told you guys in the workshop in 2020, we have had wonderful experiences with Canadian companies and Canadian fund managers. I actually have one of my best fund managers is Canadian, super focused. In, in, so the, I think the conversation has to be like, okay, Yes, we want financial return. Everybody does. IDB Lab does. You do. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. But keep in mind that we are a development finance institution. So it's like the three, triple bottom line, right? It's like the social, the environmental, the financial aspects mm-hmm. have to be covered and safeguarded and tracked. And if, if you're not there yet, if you don't have uh, a strong ENS, environment and social system, regardless of the, if you're a fund manager, if you're a financial institution, if you are a consulting company, I mean, these are the things that we ask our partners to have. I usually also joke with my clients, there are two things that in multilaterals make a project be canceled, environmental, issues no you know non-compliance social non-compliance and integrity matters so everything that has to do with integrity and governance anti-money laundry know your client types of practices all these kinds of safeguards again govern esg safeguards really not only practices but also safeguards policies internal policies Mm -hmm. or measures are important for us. We, we look at it and said, huh, there's a match there. Yes, it's a consulting company. It's a for-profit company. But hey, it works with, I don't know, water and sanitation. It works with, you know, you know, green mining. It works with, I don't know, you know, renewable energy. Plus, it's aware of ESG practices. They have an ESG officer. Their governance is good. In terms of integrity, mm-hmm. they're just great. So these are the kinds of things for a multilateral organization. It's important to know um, before we engage with with a partner. And you know, for him, I'm I'm you know, if anybody that is listening and wants to to talk to one of these Canadian partners of ours, we are happy to provide the context. I'm sure they're gonna tell all the good and the bad about Anita Fiori. But hey, they're gonna tell you how nice it is to make business with with the IDB. And and in the end, they gain as well. We gain from them. I learn a lot from my partners, my Canadian partners. Mm -hmm. And they also learn a lot from us. It's a a co-creation, co-learning project, really, for everybody. But we do, do like, especially fund managers that want to invest in LATAM, especially in climate finance. Yes, I'm interested. Consulting firms that do ESG type of work, tracking, reporting. Yes, we are interested. Yeah, diversity, gender, anything related to those aspects. Again, if you have experience, if you have a track record, and especially if you have people in the region, sometimes you don't have all the, I don't have experience in the sectors, but I do have people in the region. I'm interested in getting to those topics. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So it's a a good broad... Uh, a broad cadre of things to talk to you about. So I think that's that's encouraging. Yeah, no, the we, we, we like to... One thing I confess I try to do uh, for him is always try to work with different partners, different executing agencies. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's good when the new is always good, challenging, but good. We get yeah. out of a new 
relationship uh, much stronger sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Anita. This has been great. This has been awesome. I, I think we've learned so much about IDB Lab and I'm more excited about IDB Lab now talking to you. I know we've talked a few times, several times before, but having all of this. Careful, um, Embassy in, of Canada. I may get Fahim <laughs> to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all working in partnership now. So, so thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for everybody for listening. I hope everything out of the conversation that I did, but please feel free to reach out to me and to the other climate finance trade commissioners. And I'm happy to connect you with Anita and others at IDB Lab. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Our next podcast coming up is with the Canadian Commercial Corporation. So those of you who are in the looking to work with governments and need Canadian representation from a Crown Corporation or Canadian assistance from a Crown Corporation, I definitely encourage you to listen to that. But thank you again, Anita. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. This has been a production of the Embassy of Canada in Washington, D.C. And again, my name is Fahim Narali, and I'm the Climate Finance Trade Commissioner here. So speak to you next time. Thanks. Thanks.